You know, it's, it's days like these that, you know, some people, actually the weather affects um, their joy, their happiness, right? It, it, I know for me it did. Days like these really actually triggered me into the disparity of life that I had. So, but the wonderful thing about it is when you come to the Lord, it's things like this that don't even matter anymore because now it's just fulfilling that comes uh, out of our souls. And, and uh, that's the truth and the re reality of Scripture that regardless of what's happening in our lives, uh, we can remain joyful and remain hopeful because we know in who we have believed. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And uh, I mean, before we get into the word, it's, it's something to ask ourselves this morning. Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? Because if it does, then it starts to settle a lot of restlessness in our hearts and in our lives. And, um, you know, Jesus said that he came to give life and life in abundance. Um, our primary calling is to not uh, have everything that we desire here on this earth, but he does desire to have that life and life in abundance. And, it, and it's, a, it's, it's more in the way that we think, right? Uh, we, we, uh, we overcome not by our situation, but we overcome by who we are in Christ, right? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And hopefully uh, we will be able to gather all of that by the time we get done with with today. We're going to be covering John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. And verse 1 says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Martha who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble but because he sees the light of this world but because he sees the light of this world but if anyone walks in the night he stumbles because the light is not in him these things he said and after that he said to them our friend lazarus sleeps but i go that i may wake him up his disciples said lord if he sleeps he will get well however jesus spoke of his death but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Father, it's our intention this morning to, to look into your word, as we said earlier, that it's living and active. And God, that you would reveal to us the pure truths of your scripture. God, reveal to us even the current state of our hearts according to our situations. We desire, as we come every week, to learn more about you, but God, not that it only stops on Sundays, but that it continues Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and throughout the week, God. Speak to your servants this morning, and may you be glorified, God. May you be glorified through it all. Help us with the application of this word. In the name of Jesus, amen. When God delays, 
I think would sum up today. Uh, chapter 11, all of chapter 11 speaks of probably the greatest miracle that Jesus um, did. We're going to cover the first part of it. And the first part that we're looking at is, you can sum it up as when God delays. And I think that we have all been in that place where we've asked God. and God seems to be delaying. Whatever the request we have that we ask of him, God, where are you? And he seems to delay. And hopefully that is something that we can be able to, to better answer by the time this is over. Because God indeed doesn't take pleasure in necessarily the discomfort that is caused to us by him delaying. But he does take more pleasure in the fruit that it produces in us. Now, if we try to approach it with an improper understanding, as we said before, it turns into vanity. I always tell people, don't waste that brokenness that you're in. Don't allow it to go by in vain because it very well can. But God can produce something for his greater glory that causes you to grow. And that's what we are going to uh, look at today. Now, I would say that the first mistake that a believer can do, me, you, anyone who looks to the Word of God for comfort, for truth, is to apply our situation into Scripture. That's one of the first mistakes that we can do. And today's text is probably one of those. For example, the death of Lazarus. Okay, Jesus said, uh, his sickness is not unto death. And today you hear many people just quickly on impulse. Somebody gets ill. Somebody's in the hospital. Somebody just got put on a ventilator. And out of impulse, someone will say, well, his sickness is not unto death. Um, can God heal? Absolutely. Of course, he does every day. He's probably doing it this very second. But is that the proper application to put that word in to just tell someone his sickness is not unto death? Or the fact of Lazarus being raised from the dead. A lot of people today go to that scripture and someone unfortunately passes and they, they look to that scripture and they seek some kind of. And the greatest example I can think of is this five-year-old girl, four or five years old. Uh, in California with Bethel Church who died and they expected a resurrection and uh, days went by and weeks and nothing happened till they finally had to come to the acceptance that their daughter was gone, their beloved daughter. Now, I am one of the biggest proponents of the miracles of God moving today. But that does not mean that we are not held responsible to put it into proper application. By all means, we can pray for everything that our heart desires. But again, as we get to the end of this message, we're going to see the, the fullness of our request, of what God is trying to do in all of this. So what happens when someone just so quickly says their sickness isn't to death and then the next day they die? Or... They died, okay, God will raise them up and they pray and they fast and they do so many things and nothing ever happens. The result is hurt, anger, bitterness, resentment, which all leads to doubt. We've all been there, maybe not with a death or even an illness, but so many other different situations that we ask God and it doesn't happen the way that we asked him. And it can lead you to that point and it leads you into the area of doubt. Now we talk a lot about maturity here and a mature uh, believer instead is going to reverse that mistake that most people make and instead they're going to apply scripture into their situation. So you do it the other way around. Now in order to do that you want to understand when you look into scripture what is it exactly that this scripture is explaining to me and what many of you would hear called to be in context. 
What does this scripture mean? What, what exactly is being uh, demonstrated in this certain part of scripture? What was it for back then? And then you understand it. And then you learn how to apply it. Now, all of scripture we can uh, use to apply to our situations, but not in every single situation. It's in different areas. We've talked about that before, trying to put a square scripture through a round hole. It's not going to work, at least to frustration. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely important, not only in today's text, but in all of Scripture, and especially, especially when God delays. When we've asked God, when God, where, why, how, especially, it's especially important when to know in the arsenal of Scripture, which ones can I grab, which ones can I use in this specific situation. Now today, uh, Jesus is performing His seventh miracle in the book of John. The book of John Demonstrates to us seven miracles. All the other Gospels show many different. As a matter of fact, John says at the end that Jesus did so many things that there's not even enough books in the world that can contain it, right? But John only records seven. Today is the seventh miracle. It's the last miracle. And when we look at numbers, of course, in, in uh, numerology in the Bible, we know that seven stands for completion. Seven stands for uh, maturity. Stands for wholeness. Now, why the seventh miracle in the book of John? That wind's really strong. The seventh miracle is extremely important. Because it is the last miracle in the book of John. And it is this miracle that is going to, uh, in a sense, usher Jesus into the fulfillment of why he came into this earth. The first miracle being John chapter 2 when he turned the water into wine. Remember they were invited to the wedding. The wine ran out. Mary told them, we need more wine. So woman, what, is it, what, what does that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. But he still changed the water into wine. In John chapter 4, the second miracle, remember he healed the nobleman's son who was ill almost to the point of death. John chapter 5, the pool of Bethsaida. There was a man who had an infirmity for 38 years. Now, many say he was uh, paralytic. Uh, the Bible says he had an infirmity. It uses the word uh, astheneo, the Greek word, which means it's a weakness or a lack of power. In John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle, right? Small amount of food was enough to feed that many people. In the same chapter, we saw Jesus walking on water. And then two chapters back, John chapter 9, we saw the healing of a blind man who was born blind from birth, obviously. And last but not least, John chapter 11, today, the raising of Lazarus. The Gospel of John, the primary purpose of the Gospel of John is to establish that Jesus is the eternal God who became flesh and came as the Son of God. That's the primary purpose, to demonstrate that He is God incarnate. Now, the second purpose is to cause the reader to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. The word believe, it's in there time after time after time. The word believe in Scripture is used 239 times. We know that there's four Gospels, but in the Gospel of Matthew, it's there nine times. In the Gospel of Mark, 14. In the Gospel of Luke, another 9. But in the Gospel of John, it's 86 times. So John's trying to make a point. He's trying to bring the reader to belief. And not uh, the unbeliever, just, but also the believer. Believe in who the Christ is. Now, this last miracle that Jesus demonstrates, it proves all of his claims. 
His claims to be who he says that he is. I am the son of God. Everything that I do, I've learned from the father. I've heard from the father. I don't do any different. And ultimately, it's going to prove his deity. It's going to prove his mission as being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so John is trying to get people to understand that. So the beginning of our text says Lazarus of Bethany, he was, he was sick. The same word as that, as that man who had the infirmity, he was asked the nail. He was weak. He was feeble, of course. Yes, it means sick. When we are sick, we're weak, we're feeble. But it means without strength or power as well. So what his sisters did is knowing the Lord Jesus, they sent word to him. Said, Lord, please turn your eyes to our need, God. Give us your attention, Lord. Lazarus, he's ill. Isn't that what we do, right? We, we call out to God when there is a need, and rightfully so. That is our God-given right to call out to Him. Consider us, God, for our afflictions. But you have to recognize their approach. Because they didn't call out to God in sin and say, God, my, my brother is ill. But instead they said, Lord, he who you love is, is sick. You see the approach? They made it more intimate for Jesus. Not our brother, but the one who you love. He is sick. They used the Greek word phileo for love. Now, if you didn't know, there's four words for the word love in Scripture. They used the Greek word phileo, which means it's a, it's a brotherly love. It's a kind and affectionate love. They said the one who you love, like a brother, you're fond of him. He's not doing well. And in verse 4, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. For the glory of God. He's actually not necessarily focusing on the fact that Lazarus is ill, but he is focusing on the fact that it is for the glory of God that the Son of God would be glorified through it. Now, we have talked about the word glory. It's a word that's tossed around today a whole lot. Glory, glory be to God. And People uh, raise their hands during worship and yell out glory, but we have to understand what glory really means, and we've gone over it time before. But glory means uh, your view, your thought pattern. It's your opinion of a certain thing. And that thought, that view, that opinion, it results in the honor and praise of whatever it is that you are holding in high esteem. So when it comes to God, we think rightly about God. As a matter of fact, A.W. Tozer said in his book, the knowledge according to the holy that the most important thing that a Christian could do is to think rightly about God. Amen? Amen. Right? That's the most important thing that we can do is to think rightly about God. God is not trying to hurt me. God is not trying to overwhelm me. God is not trying to just be ugly and brutal and a tyrant. But God means well. We think rightly about God. And if God has allowed me to go through any certain situation, then he is going to see me through it. That is for the glory of God. And he said, so that the Son of God may be glorified. This is where he's getting to the heart of the whole purpose of John chapter 11. So that he would be glorified. It would be to cause the dignity and the worth to become manifest and acknowledged. The dignity of Jesus and his worth, the worth the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. The Bible says that the blood of bulls and goats, it can't take away our sins. But it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we have to value the worth of that blood, value the worth of Jesus Christ himself and the words that he speaks. 
His dignity. It becomes manifest and acknowledged how well in our life, how we live our lives, the things that we do, the way that we respond to things. It causes that to be manifest. That's how we bring glory to God. And that's how uh, the son of God is glorified through it. But the main way that the son of God is going to be glorified in this situation is by him going to the cross and enduring that brutal death that was humiliating, that was painful, caused him to become lifted up. That's the way he was going to be glorified. So like Jesus, we will do well if we do not become consumed by the situation, but rather seek the opportunity that God would be glorified in everything that we go through. There is a purpose to everything when it comes to God, a purpose to every single thing. We may not understand it. Sometimes we may never find out what it was for. But it doesn't deny the fact that there is a purpose when it comes to God. In the last miracle, the Christ is glorified. Not simply because he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, that's a, a miracle of all miracles, raising someone that is dead physically. But again, the end result is him being glorified through what? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because that's what this last miracle was going to do really pushed the, the, the Jews over the edge because they've already been seeking to kill him. That's the last straw. And now you could say that Jesus' time is just about come. So John writes that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Makes it a point to say that. And as a matter of fact, John doesn't use phileo. John uses the greatest of all words for love, which is agapeo. Says that Jesus agapeoed Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That is the ultimate love. That is the love that Jesus Christ uh, demonstrates toward his people. It's unconditional. No conditions on it. No matter what. I love you unconditionally. It's a hard kind of love. As a matter of fact, it is a choice type of love. I mean, we sometimes do not love even our children unconditional or our spouses because they do something that we do not agree with. Therefore, we get upset. That's not unconditional love. But when he says that he loved them, it turns right around in the next verse and it says that he stayed two more days in the place that he was at. And it's like, what? You love me, but you're going to stay two more days. How so? How is that possible? Why would Jesus stay two more days when Scripture says that he loves them unconditionally? Why, God, right? That's where the question comes in for me and you. This is where we insert ourselves, our situation. Why, God? How much longer, Lord? To make certain of who he is. That's why. See, he waited two days, and again, going back to numerology, if you see the number two, the number two stands for ruin and desolation and enmity. What it speaks of, is, in a sense, is death, because death causes division. Division from the spirit and the body. So, could he possibly have purposely waited at least those two days? Why not three? Why not one? Maybe to demonstrate the fact that, yes, he is going to die. That's what he's going. But I have a purpose in mind. But remember last week when we read at the end of John chapter 10 that it said that Jesus went uh, to a place beyond the Jordan. And remember, I spoke of that place and that place meant that it was a place for opportunity. It was a time for action. He stayed two more days in that same place. Why? This was the place for an opportunity. Through the, the happenstance of Lazarus. It was a place for acting. So after the two days, he says, let us go to Judea again. That was Jesus' response. Their response was, you're going to go there again? They've been seeking to kill you. 
Why are you going to go back there again? And you can see the difference in optimism from the Christ and you can see pessimism from the disciples, right? One of them is thinking rightly. The other ones are thinking negatively. Why do you want to go there again? Because it's not going to be good. But he tells them, let us go. And when he says, let us go to Judea again, this word means to lead. It doesn't mean to just go, but it means to lead. It means to direct, to be the example. Let us go to Judea again. The life of a believer will be a conjunction of seasons and opportunities. Right? It's like a run-on sentence. Good seasons, bad seasons, but they're all connected together. The constant attempt of putting Jesus away is to respond to it with repetition, right? That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to put him away. That's what this means. They wanted to get rid of him. And in today's society, that is how we approach it. To the constant uh, wanting to put away Jesus, whether it is at work or at home or school or wherever else, uh, is to respond with repetition. We continue again. We go again. We go to our Judea again. And so he clarifies it. And he says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, uh, he does not stumble, but because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. See the difference of what he says. Uh, if someone walks in the day, they don't stumble. Why? Because they have the light of the world. But if someone walks in the night, they stumble. Why? Because they don't have the light in them. Right? We, we have the light of Christ when we belong to Christ. He said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John chapter 1 says the same thing. That the light that was in him was, uh, the life that was in him was the light of men. But men, they hated the light because it was exposed their deeds of evil and darkness. And when he says that they walk in darkness or walking in the light, it, it means to, the way you conduct your life, the way you go about your day, the way you go about your business, the way you handle situations and circumstances, that's what it means to walk. So they face the reality of Lazarus is dead. They said, he said, our friend, our friend Lazarus, he, he sleeps. Let's go to him. They said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. They're trying to get out of the situation. They're trying to go around it. They're trying to run from the situation. And he says, our friend Lazarus is dead. That's what he was talking about. And in verse 15, he says, and actually, I am glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. I mean, that is probably one of the biggest parts of John chapter 11 that, that, that really speaks to me. I, I was glad for your sake. On your account, I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why? Because if Jesus was there, I mean, he would have instantly made him better. But I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there. Why? That you may believe. Now he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to these men who were walking with them for every single day, day in, day out, morning till dawn. Many of them probably slept in the same home. They didn't leave his side. You would think that if anybody believed, these guys believed. They saw so many miracles. But he says, I'm glad for your sake that you may believe. Because maybe these disciples believe that, yes, he can heal. Yes, he can open blind eyes. Yes, he can open deaf ears. But maybe they didn't quite believe that he was actually going to resurrect as he said that he was. Because uh, remember, Peter didn't want him to go to the cross, right? 
The Lord Jesus told him, uh, my captures are at hand. The Son of Man is going to be taken. And what did Peter say? Not so, Lord. Then what did Jesus tell him? Get thee behind me, Satan. For, you're, for you are mindful of what? The things of man, not the things of God. We always have to be mindful of the things of God. I'm glad. It means he was exceedingly glad. This is the type of, it is well with my soul glad that you may believe to the intent that you would believe. See, our belief is continual. We can understand it more now, right? Because why does John keep pushing that in? It's like that preacher that every Sunday he keeps on pounding the, 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 the issue of sin every Sunday. It's like he's pounding it. Well, John, the Apostle John is pounding belief. You have to believe, believe that he is the Christ. Believe that he is a God incarnate. Believe that he is the beginning and the end. He is all of those things. He's the light of the world, what he says that he is. But do we really believe all of those things? The truth that we believe is when we encounter situations, not when things are good. It's easy to lift up our hands uh, when worship is coming on or when we have something new in our life. It's, it's very easy. But what about when uh, the black widows of life bite? The scorpions of situation begin to sting us. Uh, we're caught up in a, in a cruel net, right? Like the psalmist would say, what about then? Can we lift up our hearts and our hands and say, God, it doesn't matter what's happening in my life, but you're still worthy. You're worthy of all affection, God. Is that truly what comes out of our heart? Or do we still have the poor me mentality I mean, it's something that's sobering for us to think about because uh, we can stay at an immature level and continue to think that way. Or we can come to the mature place, as we've talked about before, to say I can stand fixed and establish my eyes on Jesus Christ. My gaze is upon him. Every situation in life that we may encounter, whether good or bad, are never simply to establish our comfort, but instead that we may believe. That we may believe. I mean, every single one of us, from the first instance that we believed upon Christ, our faith should be at another level by this point because we've seen God work in a situation and it causes us to believe even more. And then we believe even more. And sometimes, uh, yes, God delays and we're, when God win and the clock is ticking and there God is right on time. Not a minute too early, not a second too late. He's there on time and it causes us to believe whether we were discomforted or not, whether we were weeping or not, whether we were embarrassed and, and humiliated because people saw us in that state. It doesn't matter. I mean, we can never be humiliated more than Jesus was. And they pulled his beard. They mocked him. They spat on his face. And nobody can endure that type of humiliation. People yelling, if you are the Christ, get yourself off of that cross. The other people who believed on him, see, they believed, and that's evidence that it doesn't happen one time. They believed upon him, but on the day of him coming into Jerusalem, on Palm Sunday, they're saying, Hosanna be to God in the highest right. Praise God, and the next week they're saying, crucify him. Simply because God was not operating the way that they thought he should operate. They thought that he would command. They thought that he would just cause destruction and automatically start to rule. But see, God's kingdom is not here on this earth. So because it didn't look like that, they began to doubt and they lost heart. And instead they said, crucify him. And sometimes when we're not careful, we have the same mentality because God didn't move in a situation that we asked him to move in. God didn't move in our marriage. God didn't move with my children. God didn't move at work, whatever it is. Our mentality, we don't say it with our words, right? But our mentality is just crucify him. Crucify him. I don't need to read my Bible today. It's not, it's not true anyways. But the word of God always remains true. When God delays, that's the whole issue this morning. When God delays, when our weakness, our lack of strength, is, uh, it's not to the advantage that arises out of sin. That's not what the advantage is for. 
But it is for the glory of God. Whenever God delays, when God seems to tarry, again, God, when, where, why? There, there, there's people probably asking it this morning. I know one family personally, they're probably asking it right now because they had a family member pass away yesterday. Why, God? The thought comes, the thought arises. Why? When? How long? How long is my life going to be uh, just jacked up, God? I mean, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to, 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 to look to you for answers, for guidance. How long, God? But see, God knows the heart of men. Remember, in John chapter 2, he said that many believed upon God. So would that be enough? Apparently not, because the Bible says that God, knowing the hearts of all men, didn't commit himself unto them because he knew what was in the heart of men. God knows what's in our heart. God knows when it's going to take a little bit more delaying to cause someone to believe even more. I mean, how, how, how much faith would we have in God if we asked God and that fast he was there every single time? That wouldn't amount to much faith at all. I mean, think of your favorite football team. If they didn't have to uh, practice and work out and, and do all of those uh, tiresome, wearisome things, if they just won every game like that. I guarantee you, after a while, they would be obese running backs. And I mean, they would just look like a laughing stock, but they're winning, right? They're, what am I going to do this for? But you train, you go after these things that happen to us. They cause us to, to train spiritually, to seek after him, God's not going to leave us. He's not concerned with leaving us the way that he found us. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us, right? As the Bible says, from faith to faith and glory to glory. That's what he wants to do. It's all for the glory of God. When we're helpless, when we're desperate, when we are anxious, when we're biting our nails and pacing back and forth, we can't sleep at night. But no matter how big the situation, God always desires to do something greater. Always. It may not, may not be according to our standards, but Romans 28, 828 is the promise to you and I that God works all things out for the good. Oh, but don't stop there like everybody else. But the promise is to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love him this morning? Are you called according to his purpose this morning? That's the question and key. Because if you do, then it says God works all things out for the good. It's for our belief, our faith in Jesus Christ, yours, mine, will always lead to the glory of God if it is a true faith. Romans 1.17 tells us that the righteousness of God is revealed from what? Faith to faith. It doesn't mean necessarily just from my faith to your faith, but from our levels of faith to faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says that we are being transformed. See, transformed, changed into the same image of God. What is that? From glory to glory. See, he just got through saying we see him, we see through a, through a, a, a mirror dimly. We don't understand everything. But it's these situations that bring us that understanding and they bring us from glory to glory. What does that mean? These situations, these hard things that happen to us in life, as the Apostle Peter said, it's not happening for just anything, but it's happening for the furtherance of your faith. So don't be surprised when these things happen. But what they do is they create, as I said on Wednesday, they're stepping stones to our faith. We need these stepping stones to grow from faith to faith. Now, this trial that seemed like it was going to be the end of me, this situation, it grew me to a greater faith. Yeah, I might be at this level of faith, and guess what? The, 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 the thing that I wanted, maybe I don't have it. Maybe they're not with me anymore. They left behind. But guess what? My faith is growing. But sometimes we want to grab on to that thing so much that we're not, we don't allow ourselves to grow from faith to faith. 
and glory to glory. We are to be transformed from glory to glory. Okay, remember, glory, it's our thought pattern, the way we think about God, the way we think about Him. God is good, right? And, and, and so we know that. But the glory, the same manner, the glory, what we think about God today, today, whether you think that God is good or you believe that he's sovereign or you believe uh, whatever it is, right? You can fill in the blank. But every situation that happens in life is difficult. When we come through the fire and he says, I will be with you in the fire. I will not leave you alone. If we look to him, then when we come out at the other end, our thought about God is even greater from glory to glory. I used to say that God was big. Now I say that he is big. That's our thought pattern. God is eternal. As a matter of fact, He's from the beginning to the end. Our belief should be great, but see, because of our carnal nature, it causes us to be tossed to and fro, and that's where through maturity we seek to say, okay, God, help me in this situation. When God delays, we're called to trust, to believe at all costs, at all costs. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. See, you might be going through something today that's really small. You might feel, well, I don't have to trust that much. But there's some people who are going through hell right now. And you have to trust and believe with all that you are. And that's when you say, I am the righteousness of Christ. I have to believe in you, God. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared to be the example to lead the way. Let us go to Judea again. Let's be the example in life to other, not just believers, but unbelievers. We have to be prepared. Oh, there's people out there that aren't prepared. There's people committing suicide every day. Matter of fact, it's getting more and more rampant. I mean, there's so many things that are happening and we have to be prepared. We have to lead the way. We have to face whatever may come in our life. We have to know that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. Miscarriages. Someone just had a miscarriage this morning. The loss of loved ones. So many different situations. And, and we have to be prepared to say, okay, God, you are my shield. You are my buckler. You're the horn of my salvation. I'm going to grab onto you. Come hell or high water, and I know that it will be well. Can we do that? That is what we want to do. Is that where we are at? Are we striving after God? Are we seeking after God in that manner? Because if we're not, we're going to lose heart. We're going to become weary. Our heart's going to melt like wax. Our bones are going to grow old and wither. And that's what the psalmist said. I've been there. I mean, we don't, uh, none of us preach or minister like we're perfect. We have been there. And if we haven't, I promise you, and remember this, you will be there at one time or another. And if you're not, then check to see whether you are truly in the faith. Because it's not a smooth sail. We have to trust in God. We have to wait on God. The hardest thing to do in a moment of distress, is to wait on God. See, we're not prone to wanting to wait. We want things fast. We want things now. And see, a gospel that's being preached is God moves this fast. I've told you before, I've heard people pray and literally command Jesus to heal a person who's on a deathbed. I mean, you want to talk about blasphemy? We can't command Jesus to do anything. I mean, the Bible says that when He speaks, we move. He doesn't move when we speak. Now, when we approach him, again, going back to approach in the right manner, yes, he hears us. Yes, he cares. Yes, he does move. But see, God knows the thing that we're asking for. When he's delaying, he knows if we truly need that thing or not. He knows what is best for us. Now, I've heard many people say it, and I can agree with them. Thank God he didn't give me that thing that I wanted be it a relationship or, or you, fill it in. Thank God he didn't give it to me. For me, thank God that in 2011 I came to a point where I despaired of life 
in my thoughts, I'll be no more. I'm going to cease to exist. But thank God for that situation that caused me. It pressed upon me and caused me to call on him. And, it, and through it, something was birthed. That was faith. My faith upon him. That's what we preach. And yeah, to many people, it's foolishness. It's ridiculous. Why? What do you go to church for? What do you preach? What do you believe in all that for? Yeah. The wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. But to those who are being saved, it is everything. It is everything. When God delays, it's not easy for all of us. Not for me either. I think Jesus even felt it in the garden. He said, Lord, my soul is weary even to the point of death. My soul is weary. God, I'm vexed. I mean, sweating even drops of blood. He was consumed. We'll never, every situation in our life we endure is never going to add up to what he went through. I'm worried to the point of death. But we get more concerned with our situations. I'm worried to the point of death. Father, let this cup pass from me. Let it pass from me, God. But yet the writer says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For you and for me. And now he is our joy. And for that joy that's set before us, we can endure any situation that we may have and encounter in life. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Oh, he cares. He cares. Yes, God loves us. He does care. But he doesn't necessarily care just about our comfort at that particular time, but he cares about the whole end result of it all. He wants to bring us to the point of glorifying him. God, you are worthy of it all. And the true believer understands that and says, God, you, you are worthy and I'm not worthy, God. But he went to raise, he went to raise Lazarus. Lazarus of Bethany. Lazarus is who God helps. That's what Lazarus means, whom God helps. And he is from Bethany, a town called Misery. God helps those who are in misery. Maybe not instantly, but God comes. When we're in the state of misery, when we are in the state of depression, when we are in the state of restlessness, God helps those. And sometimes uh, we may spiritually become weak or in want and we spiritually may be on the point of, of dying spiritually per se or our situation may die, but God comes in that opportune time. He speaks life to the situation. That's what He does. And we need to wait upon Him. We need to trust on Him. But that's only going to come with belief. It'll never come with doubt. Believing what His Word says. That's why John is pounding it in so much. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a one-time thing. The Bible says uh, we are saved, we're being saved, and we're going to be saved. It's the three stages of salvation that we see there. And we continue because God wants to do something better and something better. Now, there is coming a day when all that will be put away. And we will be standing in the glorious kingdom of God where there will be no Affliction. There will be no sadness. There will be no more tears. And that is our expectation. That is the blessed hope. That is what we wait for. In the meanwhile, we ask God to strengthen us while he delays, while he waits. It's always for something good. But the ultimate is so that he would receive the glory. Receive the glory, the greatest opinion Oh, I'm sorry to hear about the situation you went through. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe so-and-so. It's okay because I trust in God. I know if he, if he allowed it to, to leave out of my life, he has something better for me. All I need to be concerned with is not to be consumed with that, but be consumed with the fact that I need to keep my eyes on you, Lord. 
so that I can hear and see what it is that you are bringing because I don't want to grab a hold of the wrong thing. And that's our joy. That's the joy of a believer. That is the demonstration of faith in a believer's life. And that's how we go from glory to glory. When God delays, he's glorified. And we grow from glory to glory and faith to faith. God, every single one of us in this room has experienced your delay. Some of us longer than others. But nevertheless, God, we know that you've always come through in some way, shape, or form. But God, we ask you to sharpen our understanding this morning. Maybe in the current situation that we are enduring or the situation that is to come. Father, we praise you, God, if everything is good right now, but we know that there are seasons. And we ask that you prepare us. And help us all to trust in you, God, to wait upon you, Lord. This is not about us, Father, though you do love us, though you do want to give us life and life in abundance, though you do have many promises of blessing, God. The end result in the life of a believer is to bring them to a greater level of glory, that you would be glorified, God. That's why you created us. God, we ask you this morning that you would help us to apply this word in our lives, God. This text this morning speaks of the glorification that you were going to endure on the cross. When we see the depth of it, it's not really about Lazarus. It's about uh, the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it points to the cross that you, God, you are God. Only God can raise people from the dead. May it cause us to believe, Lord. And if you can raise people from the dead, then, God, you can take us out of our slumber. You can take us out of our apathy, God. You can take us out of being lukewarm. You can even take us out of our unbelief and bring us to a belief in the only God. And that is what we seek after, Lord. As our brother Paul said, uh, not that we have attained, not that none of us are there, but, God, we press forward toward the upward calling and the mark in Christ Jesus. God, if we call ourselves uh, your disciples, your followers, Lord, may we walk worthy of the calling, God, so that you would be glorified. Help us to stand fixed with our gaze upon you, Lord. Give us the strength, God. That's a promise that we have. Encourage us this morning. Restore the joy of our salvation, God. Remind us that you are our shield, you are our buckler, God. You are the horn of our, our salvation, and we ask that you would hide us this morning underneath the shadow of your wings and in the secret place of your presence, God. Father, we ask you these things this morning. Not just that they would endure today, but tomorrow and thereafter, till you come, Lord, and we stand before your glory. 